good morning. <laughs> we are in week three of our series called Momentum. And so if it's your first time here this morning, you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, we have this Newton's Cradle that we built and to display momentum. So I'm just going to show you a little example because the college students are back. They may not have seen it. So I want to hear the most response over here. Okay, this, Joel built this, so you got to get excited. All right, so this shows momentum where if one, it's mass times velocity is momentum. So if the mass gets some speed on it, yes, mind blown. <laughs> the, um, the, uh, the force can, can make something move that from one thing to the next to the next and will ultimately affect objects that can appear far from them. So how do we build spiritual momentum? Well, we've been talking about the word faith. And we build spiritual momentum by having faith at increasing levels. And faith that doesn't leave us where we are, but challenges us to grow and to change. And so for the last several weeks, we've been looking at some different things that will increase our faith. And we kind of broke down the word faith into an acronym. And all of these messages are coming out of Romans 8. How many of you read Romans 8 this week? Read a portion of Romans 8? All right, that's good. So I want to encourage you to read it this coming week. Uh, get yourself familiar with it. Study it. Ask questions about it. In fact, that's where today's message came from, is as I was studying Romans 8, I thought of all these questions, and that's what we're going to kind of tackle today. But the first week, we determined that the F in faith is for freedom. And we talked about having spiritual freedom, and many people came forward and got anointed just to begin the movement of God, the momentum of our faith, and that was really exciting. And the second week, we talked about action, and we looked at how we can eliminate fear in our lives with action. That was last week. And I want to remind you, as an action, we talked about was fasting, and when you came in today, you probably got this um, flyer here, and on the back side of it is fasting for momentum, and it's a, a fasting and prayer guide for you. And after lunch today, we will begin our fasting as a church for a week, and I want to just encourage you to think about what you might fast. It might, be, it might be food, it might be snacks, it might be soda, it might be Facebook, it might be a certain thing in your life. But I want to encourage you to pick something that is going to mean something to you, something that you're going to miss, something that's going to uh, hurt a little bit to give up, because when we make sacrifices for God is when we build the momentum. And so use this as a prayer guide. Also be checking Facebook, unless you're fasting Facebook, um, because every day one of the staff is going to do just a short uh, video blog to kind of encourage you, uh, something they're reading, something they're listening to that will kind of help spur you on, okay? So that's coming up. And so week three, I know you guys are all dying to know what the letter I stands for, and today we're going to discuss how spiritual momentum puts us in a position of influence, of influence. So that's the letter I. Faith, action, or I'm sorry, freedom, action, and influence. So, I got you guys a gift. So, if there's one of these where you're sitting, grab it out. All right, so these are called, I had to actually Google, thing that has two balls that hit together, because I didn't really know what these were called. But they're actually called mini clackers, okay? They're called clackers because of the sound they make. They're in your pew. Tell somebody to pass it down. Now, don't get super adult on me and act like you can't pick it up, okay? Because you know you want to touch it and play with it. Now, kind of everybody all at once, let's give it a shot. It's more like this motion instead of this. I'm impressed. Awesome. Okay, now you can stop. If yours doesn't work, don't be mad at me. It's just a sermon illustration. Okay, so it might not work perfect. But you see how when one of the balls hits the other, 
Okay, Kyle, you can stop now. I'm kidding. <laughs> they clack off of each other, okay? They clack off of each other. And they spur each other into action. And when one hits the other, it spurs the other to move. Okay, that's how they begin to have action. They actually influence each other, okay? So this is kind of another type of example that shows, it's like a smaller version of this. And I got these for you so that you could take them home and be reminded when your kids are running around the house with it, or if you put it on the dashboard of your car, or even in the junk drawer, if that's where it ends up, that you would be reminded of today's message, okay? So before you leave today, shove that thing in your pocket or in your purse, because I want you to find it on some random day and remember that she talked about something, and I hope that you remember the word was influence that we talked about today. So let's read our text Uh, It's on your paper also if you want to follow along with me from Romans 8. And while I read it, I want you to circle or underline the word spirit as often as you see it. Okay, because the word spirit comes out a lot today. I want you to circle or underline it so you can see how often. And we're going to read Romans 8, 26 through 30. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters." And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So today is going to be the day of answering some questions. And I believe that the mystery of the Holy Spirit is exciting. It's captivating. It's timeless. In fact, we could study the Holy Spirit all of our lives, and we could never understand the depth of the Holy Spirit and all of the things that that we would want to know. There would still be more to know. And I just love that about God, that he's so big, we can never know all of him. But in Romans 8, it's important to see how digging into the Spirit of God gives us spiritual momentum of influence. When we were praying earlier today, before you guys came in, we were talking, just praying that um, something that's so distinctive about the Assemblies of God and something that's so distinctive about our church is that we're so careful to honor the Holy Spirit. We're so careful to make sure that we dig into what all that the Spirit of God has for us. And so today, my prayer for you is that the mystery of the Holy Spirit would not keep you from pursuing it. I'm praying that the mystery, the idea that we can't always understand how the Holy Spirit moves or how the Holy Spirit works would be captivating and would not make you pull away, but would make you push in to the Holy Spirit of God. Because there is so much that God has to offer to us. I actually read a blog from one of my friends this week, and she told a story about how a man got to heaven, and there were all of these presents wrapped up in a room, and God said to him, come on in, and and, and here's all these gifts, And, and the man said, well... What, what, what is all of this? And God said, well, this is all I would have given you if you would have asked. And there are all things that, that God has for us, and, and all he wants us to do is engage and ask. So the scripture today talks about how the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And he does so in accordance with God's will. And so as I studied the scripture, I just had some questions about this. I want, I had some questions I wrestled with, and I wonder if maybe you'd have these same questions. And so that's how I'm going to frame our, our, our discussion today. So the first is this. 
how do you identify the source? How do you identify the source? So every day, we are exposed to so many voices. In fact, I looked it up, and digital marketing, marketing experts estimate that Americans hear about four to 10,000 advertisements a day, or read or see or have an experience with them. We talk to coworkers, we talk to family, we talk to friends from near and far. The, the internet has allowed us to connect with people that aren't even in our same neighborhood. We read books, we listen to podcasts, we watch the news, we check social media, and we are constantly completely vulnerable to what happens around us. So how do we decide what voices we listen to? People make some really compelling arguments about things. How do we decide what's true, what's ourselves, what's the Spirit of God, what's something else? And so what I want to kind of look at today is 1 John 4.1 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe it all. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The scripture is saying that you will be told a lot of things in your life, but some of them won't be true. Not everything on the internet is true. I'll be. All right? <laughs> There's the sermon point. We can go home. No. So you need to learn clearly which ones are coming from that source. Uh, if you can determine the source then you can know whether to trust the voice, right? If you can determine the source, you can know whether to trust the voice. Now, I think there are three major voices that we hear every day. The first is ourself, the second is the enemy, and the third is the Spirit of God. So I just want to touch briefly on those three. The first is yourself. Now, this voice often convinces you that you deserve and have the right to live the way that you want, in the manner you decide, and nothing should get in the way of that. This voice convinces you that you have the right to say anything or do anything you want. This is the voice that allows you to be king of the kingdom, and if things are inconveniencing you, then everybody else should just get with it, okay? This is the voice that every, all of us have to fight because we are wired to be selfish. We, are, we have sin nature, and so this is the voice that, that says those things. The enemy's voice this is a voice that promotes sin, it promotes selfishness, it promotes rebellion. It, it's the voice that says, come on, just go for it, no one's going to find out. Like, there's no way anyone will know if you, if you do this again. Or, who, who are they to tell you what to do? They, they, don't know, they don't know more about this than I do. This is the voice that, that is condemning it's pushing, it's tempting, it's nagging. Um, don't you think you should be worried about this? You have no way out. You'll never recover. If they find out, they'll never be friends with you again. You, you, you don't deserve to be in leadership. You can't do this. This is totally, you, you messed up your life. We talked a lot about this week one, right, about shame and how if the enemy can get our, vo our voices in our mind to be shameful, then that will just shut down our momentum. The more you tune the enemy out, the harder it is for him to get in. The more you tune the enemy out, the harder it is for him to get in. The third is the Spirit of God. And this voice promotes the word and all of its attributes. This voice gives specific direction based upon the general direction of the word of God. And so it gives you specific things that you should do that follow the character of who he is. He is gentle and loving and caring, but firm God is not condemning. He doesn't bring guilt or shame. We talked about this week one. But if there is a nagging voice in your head that says, you are not forgiven, you're a bad person because you did that, and you will never be any different, that is not the Spirit of God. That is not the Spirit of God. And you can reject those voices to not be the Spirit of God. He carried our shame, and so we 
don't have to carry it anymore. I love this prayer in the book Uninvited by Lisa Turkhurst. It says, God, I want your truth to be the loudest voice in my life. Correct me, comfort me, come closer still, and I will trust because, God, you are good at being God. I pray for us today that God would be the loudest voice in our hearts, that it will drown out ourselves, that it will drown out other people, that it will drown out the enemy, and that the Spirit of God would be the loudest voice to us. All right, let's go to number two. How do you know when it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? So how do you identify that it's the voice of the Holy Spirit? Well, a few years ago, I was discipling two girls, and in a period of one week, in the same week, they both came to me and they said clearly, without a shadow of a doubt, they heard from God and that they were going to marry this certain boy. It was the same boy, okay? <laughs> and I was like, really? Interesting. You know, they both, I mean, they put, you know, their fleeces out. They got, they, this is, I'm marrying this boy. Ironically, they were both wrong. <laughs> he married someone else, uh, like many years later. But, you know, you wonder, how does that happen? And maybe that's happened in your own life. Maybe you thought for sure that you heard something from the Lord, that for sure you thought that this was going to happen, and then it didn't happen. Learning to recognize God's voice and discern his leading is a really big part of our journey with Jesus. But it's more like an art than a science. Okay? It's way more like an art than a science. And... God doesn't necessarily ever speak the same way twice. For you control freaks out there, you were like, good night. <laughs> like, I had a formula, right? This is what God does. He makes my feet tingly, then I walk over here. You know, like, but God does not always do the same thing twice. In fact, just in the scripture, he, sp he spoke face to face. He spoke with an audible voice. He sent angels. He sent dreams. He sent prophecy. He, they uh, heard him by casting lots, by miracles, and probably in some ways that aren't even documented. And so God was constantly speaking in all of these different ways. So if God has spoken to you in a certain way before, that doesn't mean that's the only way he will ever do it. And let me tell you why. Because it is so much more about our relationship with God than it is about figuring out what's going to happen next. And so he pursues us in a way that he wants us to engage with him and work it out and figure it out and discern whether it's the Spirit of God. That's all part of the process. The first key is practice. And that might sound kind of simple, but just like anything else, if you learn to recognize God's voice, you can pick it out. So if you seek to hear God's voice every day, then when the big decision comes, when the crisis comes, you'll be able to recognize his voice better. It will be easier to hear whether it's God's voice or not. Seeking godly wisdom and advice from people who can hear God's voice is also scriptural. Comparing what you think God is telling you to what they discern can be a vital part of figuring out if that feeling inside of you is God or the bad pizza you ate last night, okay? It's really important to go to the people you trust and love. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, When there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. That is talking about how when you have people that you trust in your life, and you can compare what you feel like God is telling you to what maybe they're seeing, you can come to a conclusion that that is God's voice, or that's your voice, or that's the voice of the enemy. Reading his word is key. And not because the answer to your situation may jump off the page. Um, sometimes I think we're like, should I get the job? 
okay, this says, why, Lord, do you stand so far? No, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, you know? We kind of have this moment where we think it's going to jump off and somehow it's going to be in there and actually tell us exactly. But not so much that's the reason, but it's because you can familiarize with God's speaking voice when you read the word. The word of God is his voice. And so as you read it, you can familiarize yourself with God's speaking voice and you can begin to think to yourself, if you hear something else from the Lord, does that sound like something God would say? Does that sound something God would say? God will never say anything that contradicts scripture. He never changes. It always aligns with his character. I want to give you an example of a a friend of mine. He told me that he had a dream about one of his children, uh, and the the child was hurt, and he couldn't help them. How many of you ever had a dream, something like that, and it's just, you are just wake up trembling, you know? And he couldn't help this child. And, and, And he was helpless, and he woke up, and he was terrified, and and, and he thought about the nature of the dream, and it was, it was gruesome, and it was despairing, and, and it, it unsettled him, and it impacted him with, with fear and with grief. And he came to me, and he said, is this from, is this from God? It, it, are my children going to get hurt? You know, sh- should I be worried about this? It, sh- should I begin to have anxiety about the fact that my children are going to get hurt? And we had this conversation, and we reasoned that it wasn't from God because God does not frighten us for no reason. He doesn't make us scared and grieving. That's not who he is. He, he does not give us a spirit of fear. And it sounded more like a message from maybe his own heart, maybe him, himself, because he has a fear of losing a child. We all have fear of losing our children. Uh, or maybe it was from the enemy who, who is well-known for lies and well-known for terror and well-known for, for wanting to stir up our fear. And years passed and nothing ever happened to his children. They were fine. And that was a dream, a nightmare that he had that wasn't from God. It happens. Nightmares happen. And, and, it, and it wasn't a message from him. And we could reason that out based on the character of who God is. And then I had another conversation with another friend of mine who, who um, her daughter um, was, in a, was in a car with friends. And there's about four of them. They're teenagers. And one of the teenagers said that the night before, she had had a dream that um, they were in a wreck and she was the only one who survived because she had her seatbelt on. And so all the panicked teenagers buckled their seatbelts. <laughs> and they had this moment of, oh, okay, good idea. And unfortunately, as they were driving down the road that night, um, the, the car did in fact roll into a grassy median. And they were all unhurt. But the police officer said that the seatbelts probably saved their lives. Where did the teenager's dream come from? A warning from danger that turned out to be real and urging to do something that was right, to do something that was reasonable, that saved their life. Who speaks in that kind of way? A father. That is God's character. Not to bring us terror so that we get so nervous, but to bring us, bring us uh, reasonable and right ways and, and speak life into us. That is God's character. Now, every time those things happen, you've got to process through them. There isn't a formula. Like I said, it's not a, it's not a science. It's an art. And so don't take like a dream you had and be like, the car's going to roll because I jumped up with my seatbelt on. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But what I'm saying is we can use the heart of the Father to begin to censor through the things that the Holy Spirit is telling us, and we can trust that the heart of God will line up with the Scripture that God is saying. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is give it to God and go to sleep. Am I right about that? The most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. Okay, college students, just so you know. That's sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do. And then when you wake up in the morning, do you feel as strongly about it today as you did yesterday? 
Is the voice just as clear and prompting as it is in the morning? And if you do that, you can begin to discern the Spirit of God. Uh, In Acts 5.38, the apostles are being persecuted and they're about to put them to death. And Gamaliel steps up and says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. If the direction or voice you're hearing is God's, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. All right, number three. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? So if the direction of Galatians 5 is to... um, I'm sorry, Galatians 5 and Romans 8, this is what I've written here, are actually very similar books. Galatians 5 talks about living in the Spirit, and it talks about a a very similar path as Romans 8. So you might want to read those two together. And verse 25 pops out to me. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So when I heard that, I heard a sermon illustration once about Um, ballroom dancing. So I have a little picture here. I actually tried to get someone to come up here and ballroom dance, but I couldn't find any takers. So if you want to, okay. But I heard the analogy once of keeping in step with the spirit is like ballroom dancing. So if you can imagine. Now I don't know how to ballroom dance, but I looked it up on Wikipedia. And to learn how to ballroom dance, you start by taping a box on the floor, a small box, and you begin to always move to the corner. And then once you master that, you can dance around all the dance floor with with just the same rhythm. So you can learn how to ballroom dance in just a little bit of space, but then once you understand how to do that, you can go all around the dance floor. And in ballroom dancing, there's always a leader. Both of you can't make the decisions. One follows the other where to step. One person leads, and the other person responds. And once you get the rhythm you can just do it. You glide all around the dance floor effortlessly. And keeping in step with the Spirit means that we begin recognizing the way he's telling us to go. We begin seeing what he's leading us to say. And maybe we uh, start small. Maybe we start in a little box and, and we begin to see, okay, God, this is, this is the verse you want me to read. This is the, the way you want me to treat my mom. This is the forgiveness you want me to extend to someone. But then once we begin to know the Spirit's leading, we can dance all across the dance floor of our lives in the Spirit. We can keep in step with the Spirit. He's telling me to pray for this. He's leading me to help this person. He, he's telling me to take my mind off of this. Keeping in step with the Spirit. And that's what he's asking us to do. And so when we begin to hear the voice of God and understand the voice of God, just like ballroom dancing, we can keep in step with the Spirit. So our text in Romans 8, I'm going to go back to that, talks about the Spirit a lot, and it brings us uh, to the last half of this passage, 28 through 30. And I'm just going to read it again as we go through these last couple questions. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So number four, if God works for the good of those who love him, then why are things hard sometimes? You know, sometimes these seasons we walk through in life don't seem very good. 
We can read that scripture and say, okay, God works for the good of me. But this just doesn't seem very good. I wouldn't call the season that I'm in right now very good or the certain part of my life very good. It's not very beautiful. And I heard this analogy once, and I just loved it so much. But there's this type of art called cross-stitching. Anyone do it or have done it before? Okay, and so um, let's show the backside of a cross-stitch picture. If you look underneath it, it's hardly recognizable. It's not very beautiful. I would not say it's very good. It's a mess. It has knots. It has snarls. You can't make out really what the art piece is supposed to be. And the colors don't match. You know, there's no blending of sorts. And this is actually what Solomon calls life under the sun. Solomon sometimes, um, in Ecclesiastes, he had a little like negative day there. But he talked about how life under the sun just looks like this. It just feels like this. It doesn't look beautiful. It doesn't look good. I feel like there's no way this great artist is up in heaven weaving this tapestry called history. In fact, I kind of feel like I'm sitting in the middle of a giant mess right now. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is talking about. And then all of a sudden, you flip over the loom of the cross stitch, and you can show the next picture. And what you see is from God's vantage point. It makes sense, right? It's beautiful. He's weaving history together. He's weaving our lives together exactly as he desires. You know, from God's perspective, he sees from beginning to end. All we get is this little sliver of our life. This little few years that we get to exist on the planet, that's all what we see. But he sees from the beginning to the end. And we have a God who uses everything and everyone, every day, every minute, every opportunity, and he bends it all back. He bends it all back to good. He bends it all back to good according to his purpose. And I believe that one day if we trust him, we'll sit with him and we'll see all the front sides of the cross stitch. And we'll look down at it and we'll see the way that he weaved history. We'll see the way that he used our action and our obedience to gain momentum into generations of people ahead. We'll see what God did with all of that. But we'll have to wait for that till we get to heaven. I love in this certain verse it says, All things God works for the good of those who love him. And I think sometimes we want to choose the definition of good. What we think is good, what we think good looks like. But the idea of good is left general because it's up to God to decide what is good. It is up to God to decide what is good in our lives. The other word in this this scripture is he works things together. He works things together. God works all things together for good. Will all days be good? No. Will all things be good? Nope. (laughs) But in the final analysis, it will be good. It makes me think of Joseph when he was in the pit crying out for help. It didn't seem good. But later when he was in power and God could look back to see how God worked in his life, then he could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So you may just be in a situation right now that you can't see the way that God is making things for good, but at some point you'll be able to look back and flip over the loom and see the way that he's weaving it. It might not even be on this side of heaven. But on some day, the promise that you will see is God doing that. Verse 30 continues with this concept. It says, um, we're predestined, we're called, we're justified, we're glorified. And I did a little research on this, and they're all written in past tense. 
If you notice, they're all written in past tense. And it was to stress that this will happen. In fact, a lot of Hebrew prophecy was written in past tense. And this happens because they wrote it because it's as good as done. In the mind of God, it's true. Because no plan of God will fail. And so we know, even though maybe we haven't gone through all of those stages yet, that it is as good as done, as good as true, because no plan of God will fail. All right, let's go to number five. What does it look like to really love God? You're going to have to come back for the answer to that question because I'm just going to go to number six. Okay. Um, Number six. How do these truths build momentum in our influence? Okay, number six to me is the most important thing I want to tell you this morning, and I want to look at the account of Philip to show us this, the, the character of Philip in the scripture. So there was an Ethiopian in Africa, and he had come all the way to Jerusalem. And from where he was to Jerusalem is about 500 miles. So if you can picture, like, here to Indianapolis, Indiana. So he traveled all that way, not in a, not, I almost said boat, obviously not possible, not in a plane, because they didn't have those then, probably in a cart of some kind. And he travels all the way to Jerusalem. And out of all of the tens of thousands of Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans that needed Christ, out of all of the people that needed to hear the message of Jesus, the Lord sovereignly sets his favor on this one Ethiopian man. And he sends an angel to Philip. And in Acts 8.26, the angel says to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Not super specific, okay? That one road that goes that one place, go there. And so Philip packs up his things and he heads to the road. And I want you to think of the most unlikely person in your life to become a Christian. Get that person in your head right now. That man or woman that you would never ever guess would start living their life for Jesus. Because that is who this story is about. That is who this story is about. Philip goes and he does not know what God has in mind. But when he gets to the road, the Spirit of God tells him the next step to take. He is in tune with the speaking voice of God. All of those previous questions that we just answered all line up to this moment. Philip did all of those things and he was in tune to the speaking voice of God. And he had a supernatural guidance one step at a time. Sometimes, most times, God tells us just one step at a time. And then we get ahead of ourselves. Like we will worry, well, if I invite that person to Bible study and they say no, and then it's awkward, and then what do I do? And then I'm going to panic, or what if they ask me a question I don't know about the Bible? They haven't even said no yet. You haven't even asked them yet. And you've got all this stuff in your head about what possibly is going to happen. But the Holy Spirit says one step at a time. And literally one step at a time, God gives Philip directions. He says, go to that random road. He goes. Verse 29, the Spirit says, Go up and join the chariot. He he doesn't tell Philip what to do when he gets to the chariot. I can imagine at least my thought process would be like, uh, okay, then what? (laughs) You know, and God's like, I'm not telling you what, just go to the chariot. And so Philip says, okay, I'm going to go up to the chariot. And as he walks up to the chariot, the timing of the Holy Spirit is so perfect. So perfect. Because at that very moment that Philip walks up to the chariot, And he doesn't even know what he's going to say. The Ethiopian is reading out loud the book of Isaiah. And he's reading the specific reference to Jesus when he dies on the cross. And he's saying to himself, 
I wonder what this means. I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> like, you can make a movie any better than this. I wonder what this means. And there's Philip on the outside of his carriage. I can tell you. <laughs> knock, knock. Where'd you come from? <laughs> Perfect timing. Divine appointment. Did you know that Jesus is setting up this timing with the people in your life long before you're planning it? That he is already working. He is already setting you up to walk straight into the perfect timing situation. He is giving you influence, and the Spirit of God is awarding you influence in other people's lives, and you don't even know it. But as God is giving you each step to take, and as you take it, he is setting you up to have this influential moment with them. So now Philip knows what the Lord has been doing and directing him to this desolate place where there is this lone chariot and a man from Ethiopia. And the Lord is having mercy on a man whose nationality might have made him think that God would never care about him. And not only that, but the Lord is orchestrating the evangelization of Ethiopia. This Ethiopian, after he had this experience, became a missionary among his people. So not only was God saying, I want this man to understand the Holy Spirit, I want this man to have faith in Jesus, but he says, I want this whole nation to, to, to become believers, I want this whole nation to have a light, and so I'm going to go for this one person, this one influence. And so what if God is asking you to influence someone, maybe in your school, in your gym, in your workplace, in your book club, in your neighborhood, and it's not just for them. But it's so they go and tell their whole family. So they go and tell their whole friend group. So they go and tell their whole sports team. So they go and tell their whole campus. Like, what if it's not even just about that one person? We celebrate for one person, without a doubt. But what if it's not? What if it's about scores of people? Because God knew that when we began to start momentum, there would be a ripple effect. I don't know whether to clack the clacker or hit the button, all right? Something like this. All of this is to say... That God knew the influence that the Holy Spirit could have. <laughs> there you go. Maybe I'll do both at the same time. I'm a talented woman. Look at this. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> but it's this whole idea that Philip proclaimed the good news of Jesus to him, and the Ethiopian believed, was baptized along the road, and went on his way rejoicing. But God did the hard work he, sent, he set Philip up in the right place at the right time. He gave him the perfect opportunity, but Philip still had to open his mouth. Philip still had to share the good news of Jesus to this Ethiopian man. And when he did, when he took a risk, that man believed. And in Acts 6-3, I love this, Philip is described as full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Philip was alert to the voice of God and one day, when the Spirit said, I have a divine appointment for you, go to this road, do this thing, knock on the door at this time, he did. And spiritual momentum increases when we trust the Spirit of God to use us as influencers. His master plan is for us to spiritually initiate movement in other people's lives. I want to tell you this morning that if you are not actively praying for someone who doesn't know Jesus, and openly being available to influence them for the kingdom, you're not operating in full obedience. To start your spiritual momentum again, you have to show up to play. 
You have to put your evangelism uniform on and get to work. We cannot ignore the fact that at least half the job of being a believer is reaching the lost. It won't be easy. It won't be comfortable. In fact, in Chi Alpha, we have this little term that we're awkward for Jesus. Am I right? All the time. I mean, these students have to pass out things on campus. Joel makes them do all kinds of crazy things. May or may not have been my idea at some point. I'm not sure. But... The point is, you have to have these moments where it is awkward sometimes. It is awkward to have conversations with people that you don't know. It is messy. It is awkward. But if we are not doing it, first of all, we are not obeying what God is asking us to do. And second of all, we are not allowing the Spirit of God to lead us to influence other people. If you haven't even talked to an unbeliever about your faith in the last few weeks— It's time to get moving. And this isn't just my opinion. This is spelled out so clearly in the word of God that I have no idea how we ignore it so much. This is what God tells us to do. He tells us to pray and he tells us to worship and we're doing all that stuff. But if we are not actively trying to influence people with the cause of Christ, then we are not fulfilling the fullness of what God's asking us to do. If you haven't invited someone to church or to Bible study or to family sledding or to your house for dinner or to some place that the Holy Spirit is present, it's time to get moving. You might say, Uh, Nicole, this is not my strength. I do not talk to other people, ever. Uh, I do not want to impede on their beliefs. Um, I would rather post it on my Facebook wall and have them share if they like Jesus. I am uncomfortable when challenged with this task. You might even not like me right now. I'm okay with that. Because I have good news. Romans 8 says this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This doesn't have to be your strength, friends, because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit of God tells us where to go and what to do, and if we obey and listen and tune into our voice, he will bring us moments of influence that we could never have created ourselves. So this is what I want to do to end our service today. Uh, If you got an orange flyer, orange insert, Um, I want you to just look it up, take a minute. If you don't have an orange insert, you can type it in your phone or write it on a scrap piece of paper. But it says on there, on the bottom, God, I am praying for blank, send your Holy Spirit to give me influence in their life. And I want you to just pray right now for a minute. It's going to be quiet for a minute. I want you to fill that in. You can put initials if you don't want anyone to know. But I want you to pray for three people that God is asking you to influence as you hear the Spirit of God and fill that in. So I'm just going to take... Two minutes for you guys to do that. All right, would you stand? Would you take those papers and just hold them in your hand? What we're going to do is we're going to pray for the names of those people that you wrote on your paper. And I want you to pray for the people that you wrote, pray for the people around you that they wrote. Let's just pray right now as we close. Jesus, I thank you that the Spirit of God is pursuing people more passionately than we could ever. Because, God, you love us so much. And that your design for the kingdom of God is for us to reach the lost. Your design was for us, the influence that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, to interact with other people and that they would be influenced into the kingdom of God because you love them so much. 
And so, God, today we pray for those that, that these men and women in this room wrote down their names. God, I pray for those that couldn't think of anyone. And I ask, God, that this week you would bring to mind, you would show them, you would highlight the people, even in their life, that you want them to start praying for. God, I pray that you would give each of these people divine interactions this week. God, I pray that at every workplace that is represented here, God, even the workplaces that you're not allowed to speak about Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't even have to speak, but the influence would go forth. God, I pray for those that, are, uh, that, that go to different various places around the city, that God, you would give influence and impact, Lord, that you would help us go to the roads that you ask, show up at the chariots that you ask us to do, and open our mouths, and God, that we could be able to share with each other the way that you are moving through this city and through this community, and then from here around the world, God, because you have decided how your, your gospel will move, and God, this is it, and we want to be a part of it. God, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to do this in vain, God. We want to be a part of it. And so I pray, God, we could become people that have a passion to reach the lost, God, in a way maybe we've never felt before. God, help us not miss it. We don't want to miss it. And so I pray for these folks, and I pray over these next few months that we could even watch some of these people walk into these doors, and God, that even together we could celebrate because you are using the Holy Spirit to influence between us. God, we're trusting you and we love you and we give you praise. We want to we serve you. Amen.